Section 31 of The Life of Samuel Johnson, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Life of Samuel Johnson, Volume 3, by James Boswell, Section 31. On Tuesday, April the 14th, I dined with him at General Oglethorpe's with General Paoli and Mr. Langton. General Oglethorpe declaimed against luxury. Johnson, depend upon it, sir, every state of society is as luxurious as it can be. Men always take the best they can get. Oglethorpe, but the best depends much upon ourselves and if we can be as well satisfied with plain things we are in the wrong to accustom our palates to what is high seasoned and expensive what says addison in his cato speaking of the numidian coarse are his meals the fortune of the chase amid the running stream he slakes his thirst toils all the day and at the approach of night on the first friendly bank he throws him down or rests his head upon a rock till morn and if the following day he chance to find a new repast or an untasted spring blesses his stars and thinks it's luxury let us have that kind of luxury sir if you will johnson but hold sir to be merely satisfied is not enough it is in refinement and elegance that the civilized man differs from the savage a great part of our industry and all our ingenuity is exercised in procuring pleasure and sir a hungry man has not the same pleasure in eating a plain dinner that a hungry man has in eating a luxurious dinner you see i put the case fairly a hungry man may have as much nay more pleasure in eating a plain dinner than a man grown fastidious has in eating a luxurious dinner but i suppose the man who decides between the two dinners to be equally a hungry man talking of different governments johnson the more contracted that power is the more easily it is destroyed a country governed by a despot is an inverted cone government there cannot be so firm as when it rests upon a broad basis gradually contracted as the government of great britain which is founded on the parliament then is in the privy council then in the king Boswell. power when contracted into the person of a despot may be easily destroyed as the prince may be cut off so caligula wished that the people of rome had but one neck that he might cut them off at a blow oglethorpe it was of the senate he wished that the senate by its usurpation controlled both the emperor and the people 
and don't you think that we see too much of that in our own parliament footnote boswell was right and oglethorpe wrong the exclamation in suetonius is utinam populus romanus unam cevicem haberet caligula croker end of footnote dr johnson endeavoured to trace the etymology of macaronic verses which he thought were of italian invention from macaroni but on being informed that this would infer that they were the most common and easy verses macaroni being the most ordinary and simple food he was at a loss for he said he rather should have supposed it to import in its primitive signification a composition of several things for macaronic verses are verses made out of a mixture of different languages that is of one language with the termination of another i suppose we scarcely know of a language in any country where there is any learning in which that motley ludicrous species of composition may not be found it is particularly droll in low dutch the polymo medinia of drummond of hawthornden in which there is a jumble of many languages moulded as if it were all in latin is well known footnote polymo medinia as the commentator explains is proelium in stoculinio commissum in the opening lines the poet thus calls on the scipperii or skippers vinquite scalatas botas shipasque peccatas whistlantesque simul fecta memorate blodiam fectam terribilem quam marvelavarat omnis banda deum quoque nympharum cococeliarum end of footnote mr langton made us laugh heartily at one in the grecian mould by joshua barnes in which are to be found such comical anglo-hellenisms as greek kalaboyasin ebanktham they were banged with clubs on wednesday april the fifteenth i dined with dr johnson at mr dilly's and was in high spirits for i had been a good part of the morning with mr orme the able and eloquent historian of hindustan who expressed a great admiration of johnson i do not care said he on what subject johnson talks but i love better to hear him talk than anybody he either gives you new thoughts or a new colouring it is a shame to the nation that he has not been more liberally rewarded had i been george the third and thought as he did about america i would have given johnson three hundred a year for his taxation no tyranny alone i repeated this and johnson was much pleased with such praise from such a man as orme at mr dilly's to-day were mrs knowles the ingenious quaker lady miss seward the poetess of lichfield the reverend dr mayo and the reverend mr beresford tutor to the duke of bedford before dinner 
johnson seized upon mr charles sheridan's account of the late revolution in sweden Footnote, the revolution of seventeen seventy two the book was published in seventeen seventy eight charles sheridan was the elder brother of r b sheridan End of footnote. and seemed to read it ravenously as if he devoured it which was to all appearance his method of studying he knows how to read better than any one said mrs knowles he gets at the substance of a book directly he tears out the heart of it he kept it wrapped up in the tablecloth in his lap during the time of dinner from an avidity to have one entertainment in readiness when he should have finished another resembling if i may use so coarse a simile a dog who holds a bone in his paws in reserve while he eats something else which has been thrown to him the subject of cookery having been very naturally introduced at a table where johnson who boasted of the niceness of his palate owned that he always found a good dinner he said i could write a better book of cookery than has ever yet been written it should be a book upon philosophical principles pharmacy is now made much more simple cookery may be made so too a prescription which is now compounded of five ingredients had formerly fifty in it so in cookery if the nature of the ingredients be well known much fewer will do then as you cannot make bad meat good i would tell what is the best butcher's meat the best beef the best pieces how to choose young fowls the proper seasons of different vegetables and then how to roast and boil and compound dilly mrs glass's cookery which is the best was written by dr hill half the trade know this Footnote. as physicians are called the faculty and counsellors at law the profession the booksellers of london are denominated the trade johnson disapproved of these denominations boswell johnson himself once used this denomination End of johnson well sir this shows how much better the subject of cookery may be treated by a philosopher i doubt if the book be written by dr hill for in mrs glass's cookery which i have looked into saltpetre and salprunella are spoken of as different substances whereas salprunella is only saltpetre burnt on charcoal and hill could not be ignorant of this however as the greatest part of such a book is made by transcription this mistake may have been carelessly adopted but you shall see what a book of cookery i shall make i shall agree with mr dilly for the copyright miss seward that would be hercules with the distaff indeed johnson no madam women can spin very well but they cannot make a good book of cookery johnson oh mr dilly 
you must know that an english benedictine monk at paris has translated the duke of berwick's memoirs from the original french and has sent them to me to sell i offered them to strawn who sent them back with this answer that the first book he had published was the duke of berwick's life by which he had lost and he hated the name now i honestly tell you that strawn has refused them but i also honestly tell you that he did it upon no principle for he never looked into them dilly are they well translated sir johnson why sir very well in a style very current and very clear i have written to the benedictine to give me an answer upon two points what evidence is there that the letters are authentic for if they are not authentic they are nothing and how long will it be before the original french is published for if the french edition is not to appear for a considerable time the translation will be almost as valuable as an original book they will make two volumes in octavo and i have undertaken to correct every sheet as it comes from the press mr dilly desired to see them and said he would send for them he asked dr johnson if he would write a preface to them johnson no sir the benedictines were very kind to me and i'll do what i undertook to do but i will not mingle my name with them i am to gain nothing by them i'll turn them loose upon the world and let them take their chance dr mayo pray sir are ganganelli's letters authentic johnson no sir voltaire put the same question to the editor of them that i did to macpherson where are the originals footnote a translation of these forged letters which were written by monsieur de caraccioli was published in seventeen seventy six by the gentleman's magazine they were accepted as genuine in the annual register for the same year was published a translation of the letter in which voltaire had attacked their authenticity the passage that johnson quotes is the following on est en droit de lui dire ce qu'on dit autrefois à l'abbé nodot montrez-nous votre manuscrit de pétron trouvé à belgrade vous consentez à n'être cru de personne End of mrs knowles affected to complain that men had much more liberty allowed them than women johnson why madam women have all the liberty they should wish to have we have all the labour and the danger and the women all the advantage we go to sea we build houses we do everything in short to pay court to the women mrs knowles the doctor reasons very wittily but not convincingly now take the instance of building the mason's wife if she is ever seen in liquor is ruined the mason may get himself drunk as often as he pleases with little loss of character nay may let his wife and children starve johnson madam you must consider if the mason does get himself drunk and let his wife and children starve the parish will oblige him to find security for their maintenance 
we have different modes of restraining evil stocks for the men a ducking stool for women and a pound for beasts footnote baretti says that he saw in seventeen sixty near honiton at a small rivulet an engine called a ducking stool a kind of armed wooden chair fixed on the extremity of a pole about fifteen feet long the pole is horizontally placed on a post just by the water and loosely pegged to that post so that by raising it at one end you lower the stool down into the midst of the river that stool serves at present to duck skulls and termagants End of footnote. if we require more perfection from women than from ourselves it is doing them honour and women have not the same temptations that we have they may always live in virtuous company men must mix in the world indiscriminately if a woman has no inclination to do what is wrong being secured from it is no restraint to her i am at liberty to walk into the thames but if i were to try it my friends would restrain me in bedlam and i should be obliged to them mrs knowles still doctor i cannot help thinking it a hardship that more indulgence is allowed to men than to women it gives a superiority to men to which i do not see how they are entitled johnson it is plain madam one or other must have the superiority as shakespeare says if two men ride on a horse one must ride behind Dilly. I suppose, sir, Mrs. Knowles would have them ride in panniers, one on each side. Johnson. Then, sir, the horse would throw them both. Mrs. Knowles. Well, I hope that in another world the sexes will be equal. Boswell. That has been too ambitious, madam. We might as well desire to be equal with the angels. We shall all, I hope, be happy in a future state but we must not expect to be all happy in the same degree it is enough if we are happy according to our several capacities a worthy carman will get to heaven as well as sir isaac newton yet though equally good they will not have the same degrees of happiness johnson probably not upon this subject i had once before sounded him by mentioning the late reverend mr brown of utrecht's image that a great and small glass though equally full did not hold an equal quantity which he threw out to refute david hume's saying that a little miss going to dance at a ball in a fine new dress was as happy as a great orator after having made an eloquent and applauded speech after some thought johnson said i come over to the parson as an instance of coincidence of thinking mr dilly told me that dr king a late dissenting minister in london said to him upon the happiness in a future state of good men of different capacities 
a pail does not hold so much as a tub but if it be equally full it has no reason to complain every saint in heaven will have as much happiness as he can hold mr dilly thought this a clear though a familiar illustration of the phrase one star differeth from another in brightness dr mayo having asked johnson's opinion of Soame jennings few of the internal evidence of the christian religion johnson i think it a pretty book not very theological indeed and there seems to be an affectation of ease and carelessness as if it were not suitable to his character to be very serious about the matter boswell he may have intended this to introduce his book the better among genteel people who might be unwilling to read too grave a treatise there is a general levity in the age we have physicians now with bag wigs may we not have airy divines at least somewhat less solemn in their appearance than they used to be footnote the physicians in hogarth's prints are not caricatures the full dress with the sword and great tie wig and the hat under the arm and the doctors in consultation each smelling to a gold-headed cane shaped like a parish beadle's staff are pictures of real life in his time and myself have seen a young physician thus equipped walk the streets of london without attracting the eyes of passengers dr t campbell in seventeen seventy seven writing of dublin to a london physician says no sooner were your medical wigs laid aside than an attempt was made to do the like here but in vain End of footnote. johnson jennings might mean as you say footnote. jennings wrote malone on the authority of w g hamilton could not be made without much labour to comprehend an argument if however there was anything weak or ridiculous in what another said he always laid hold of it and played upon it with success he looked at everything with a view to pleasantry alone this being his grand object and he being no reasoner his best friends were at a loss to know whether his book upon Christianity was serious or ironical. End of footnote. Boswell. You should like his book, Mrs. Knowles, as it maintains, as you friends do, that courage is not a Christian virtue. Mrs. Knowles. Yes, indeed, I like him there, but I cannot agree with him that friendship is not a Christian virtue. Footnote. Jennings maintains that valour, patriotism, and friendship are only fictitious virtues, in fact, no virtue at all. End of footnote. Johnson. Why, madam, strictly speaking, he is right. All friendship is preferring the interest of a friend to the neglect or perhaps against the interest of others. So that an old Greek said, he that has friends has no friend 
now christianity recommends universal benevolence to consider all men as our brethren which is contrary to the virtue of friendship as described by the ancient philosophers surely madam your sect must approve of this for you call all men friends footnote he had furnished an answer to this in the rambler where he says to love all men is our duty so far as it includes a general habit of benevolence and readiness of occasional kindness but to love all equally is impossible the necessities of our condition require a thousand offices of tenderness which mere regard for the species will never dictate every man has frequent grievances which only the solicitude of friendship will discover and remedy and which would remain for ever unheeded in the mighty heap of human calamity were it only surveyed by the eye of general benevolence equally attentive to every misery End of footnote. mrs knowles we are commanded to do good to all men but especially to them who are of the household of faith johnson well madam the household of faith is wide enough mrs knowles but doctor our saviour had twelve apostles but there was one whom he loved john was called the disciple whom jesus loved johnson with eyes sparkling benignantly very well indeed madam you have said very well boswell a fine application pray sir had you ever thought of it johnson i had not sir from this pleasing subject he i know not how or why made a sudden transition to one upon which he was a violent aggressor for he said i am willing to love all mankind except an american and his inflammable corruption bursting to horrid fire he breathed out threatenings and slaughter calling them rascals robbers pirates and exclaiming he'd burn and destroy them miss seward looking to him with mild but steady astonishment said sir this is an instance that we are always most violent against those whom we have injured he was irritated still more by this delicate and keen reproach and roared out another tremendous folly which one might fancy could be heard across the atlantic during this tempest i sat in great uneasiness lamenting his heat of temper till by degrees i diverted his attention to other topics dr mayo to dr johnson pray sir have you read edwards of new england on grace johnson no sir boswell it puzzled me so much as to the freedom of the human will by stating with wonderful acute ingenuity are being actuated by a series of motives which we cannot resist that the only relief i had was to forget it 
mayors but he makes the proper distinction between moral and physical necessity boswell alas sir they both come to the same thing you may be bound as hard by chains when covered by leather as when the iron appears the argument for the moral necessity of human actions is always i observe fortified by supposing universal prescience to be one of the attributes of the deity johnson you are surer that you are free than you are of prescience you are surer that you can lift up your finger or not as you please than you are of any conclusion from a deduction of reasoning but let us consider a little the objection from prescience it is certain i am either to go home to-night or not that does not prevent my freedom boswell that it is certain you are either to go home or not does not prevent your freedom because the liberty of choice between the two is compatible with that certainty but if one of these events be certain now you have no future power of volition if it be certain you are to go home to-night you must go home johnson if i am well acquainted with a man i can judge with great probability how he will act in any case without his being restrained by my judging god may have this probability increased to certainty boswell when it is increased to certainty freedom ceases because that cannot be certainly foreknown which is not certain at the time but if it be certain at the time it is a contradiction in terms to maintain that there can be afterwards any contingency dependent upon the exercise of will or anything else johnson all theory is against the freedom of the will all experience for it i did not push the subject any farther i was glad to find him so mild in discussing a question of the most abstract nature involved with theological tenets which he generally would not suffer to be in any degree opposed footnote if any of my readers are disturbed by this thorny question i beg leave to recommend to them letter sixty nine of montesquieu's lettre persane and the late mr john palmer of islington's answer to dr priestley's mechanical arguments for what he absurdly calls philosophical necessity boswell end of footnote he as usual defended luxury you cannot spend money in luxury without doing good to the poor nay you do more good to them by spending it in luxury than by giving it for by spending it in luxury you make them exert industry whereas by giving it you keep them idle i own indeed that there may be more virtue in giving it immediately in charity than in spending it in luxury though there may be a pride in that too miss seward asked if this was not mandeville's doctrine of private vices public benefits johnson the fallacy of that book is 
that mandeville defines neither vices nor benefits he reckons among vices everything that gives pleasure Footnote. i have proved writes mandeville that the real pleasures of all men in nature are worldly and sensual if we judge from their practice i say all men in nature because devout christians who alone are to be accepted here being regenerated and preternaturally assisted by the divine grace cannot be said to be in nature End of footnote. johnson he takes the narrowest system of morality monastic morality which holds pleasure itself to be a vice such as eating salt without fish because it makes it eat better and he reckons wealth as a public benefit which is by no means always true pleasure of itself is not a vice having a garden which we all know to be perfectly innocent is a great pleasure at the same time in this state of being there are many pleasures vices which however are so immediately agreeable that we can hardly abstain from them the happiness of heaven will be that pleasure and virtue will be perfectly consistent mandeville puts the case of a man who gets drunk in an alehouse and says it is a public benefit because so much money is got by it to the public but it must be considered that all the good gained by this through the gradation of alehouse keeper brewer maltster and farmer is overbalanced by the evil caused to the man and his family by his getting drunk Footnote. mandeville describes with great force the misery caused by gin liquid poison as he calls it which in the fag end and outskirts of the town is sold in some part or other of almost every house frequently in cellars and sometimes in the garret he continues the short-sighted vulgar in the chain of causes seldom see further than one link but those who can enlarge their view may in a hundred places see good spring up and pullulate from evil as naturally as chickens do from eggs he instances the great gain to the revenue and to all employed in the production of the spirit from the husbandman upwards End of footnote. this is the way to try what is vicious by ascertaining whether more evil than good is produced by it upon the whole which is the case in all vice it may happen that good is produced by vice but not as vice for instance a robber may take money from its owner and give it to one who will make a better use of it here is good produced but not by the robbery as robbery but as translation of property footnote if a miser who is almost a plum that is worth a hundred thousand pounds johnson's dictionary and spends but fifty pounds a year should be robbed of a thousand guineas it is certain that as soon as this money should come to circulate 
the nation will be the better for the robbery yet justice and the peace of the society require that the robber should be hanged End of footnote. End of section 31.